funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. So uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I've been uh, been watching a lot of TV lately because I haven't been in the mood for movies and we haven't been recording. So I've been watching a lot of TV. What have you been watching? That's all, that's all, I, ha- that's all I have to say. Really. What have you been watching? I mean, for the episode, I'm done. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll see you next um, week, folks. <laughs> I've been rewatching Justified, which is a huge mood improver for me uh-huh uh, raylan givens the fun. worst u.s marshal in the history of the country hey i don't think he's the worst because uh hey it's not I, i'm kind of on board with just shooting criminals you know and just never having to like any repercussions for your actions yeah, they're like hey um, the assignment is to uh take this one guy a hundred yards and he's like i killed 13 people <laughs> I do want to go on record here, listeners. Um, Jacob's never watched the show, so don't let him fool That's not you. true. I saw season so, one. I've, I watched season one of Justified. So you watched the worst season of the show. I'm not judging the show. It's a great show, I'm, and I want to watch the rest of it. I'm just, come on. Don't start out this negative. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I wasn't being negative. I, I was being serious. You literally just watched the worst season of the show because they were still figuring things out. They weren't sure if they, they was they, they weren't sure if they want it to be like a store, like a week to week story, like a law and order type of procedural, or if they want it like a bigger story. And then they decided moving forward, they were going to do like clearly what most prestige dramas have been doing since the Sopranos. And you have season long arcs and series long arcs and things. So the worst season literally is the worst season of the show. Well, you know, I enjoyed it. And uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll go back. It was good. I maybe like I'll, it. Maybe I'll go back and watch it. Maybe I won't. I'm telling you, TV fills me with anxiety these days, you know, where I'm just like, there's 62 episodes of this show. Oh, God. You know, like, I don't. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm very selective if I start a new show. Most of the time, if somebody recommends a show that's not you, I'm like, yeah, I'll check it out. And then I watch a trailer and I'm like, this looks like shit. I'm not devoting this much time right. to it. But. Right. David Simon, on the other hand, he gets special treatment. So I've been watching We Own This City, which at the time of this recording is three episodes in, and it is phenomenal. Wait, I <laughs> I don't know what this is. What is it? What's We Own This City? Uh, it is based on a book about... I believe it's based on like corrupt Baltimore police. I know that that's a far-fetched idea (laughs) for anyone to get, but uh, basically it's, it's about the true rise and fall of it, like a task force. And uh, John Bernthal is the lead. And he's just, I mean, we all know John Bernthal's great, but dude, it's just, it's such a fucking great show so far. It is bleak. It is chilling. Like, and I mean that this really is a, it's, it's a chilling show. Like, it's crazy how these guys acted and the shit they said. Wow, I'm really out of the loop because I didn't even know this was a thing. I have two questions. Well, three, really. Uh, One, is it a period piece? Two, what channel or streaming service is it on? And three, have you watched um, either of the other of David Simon's shows, Treme or the porn one that I can't think the name of? 
Uh, I I watched Treme. It was all right. I watched The Deuce uh, and gave up after a few episodes because I just don't care. Mm-hmm. This is on HBO Max, okay. and it is not a period piece. Uh, it it waffles in between. I guess waffles is a poor word. I just I'm just thinking about waffles honestly. Okay. <laughs> um, anywhere from 2004 to 2015. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so it's not a period piece, but it's not taking place like in the last few right, years. Right. I mean. 2015 is fucking seven years ago. Interesting. So. Okay. I didn't even know this existed. Anyway, you're not. I, and also, I wouldn't say you're out of the loop because this show is getting, you know, with the world we live in now, with how fast things are moving, right. it kind of just, it's just going. Like, there's been articles written about the first true crime drama of the year. It's getting a lot of attention. But at the end of the day, shit just moves too fast now. I mean, everything's living in the shadow of, 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 yesterday or, or the new news you know what i mean like yeah so. it really takes like it, it, i feel like we only have time to do like one cultural thing at a time you know what i mean like it was euphoria for a while and then like you know before that it was like i mean i don't know not but like queen's gambit you know like we have like one thing that kind of takes over at a time and obviously uh i don't think it's a shock to anyone that a new david simon show would not exactly uh, uh take over the zeitgeist you know um i mean same with michael mann's show i mean tokyo vice that's not getting a ton of love or play at all and i don't understand why it's beautiful it's wait, not wait, like wait. so the best content tokyo vice is out yeah it's out yeah it's on hbo max jesus dude i didn't even know that either damn it's 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 um it's getting a little hate for kind of uh not following the book and kind of being you know, uh, un, I don't know what the, I, I haven't read the book, so I don't really know what to say. I, I can tell you what I've read, which is it's not being faithful, but I don't know what that means. Cause like, I haven't read the book and nor do I plan on it. I just wanted to watch a fucking Michael Mann show with, uh, with Ken Watanabe. I think that's how you say his yeah. name. I'm a big fan of him, but I'm not a big fan of Ansel Elgort or whatever the fuck his name is. I don't like that guy. He can't act. I'm sorry if he's listening. Yeah, I um I remember being a little skeptical of his uh, his involvement. I I do want to ask you though, is this like cuz you know, you know my favorite Michael Mann is um you know, is uh Miami Vice collateral uh era Michael Mann with the the digital blurring and stuff is is there any of that? Is there any of that like kind of experimental visual style or because i the, tra- the yeah. trailer looked like there was none of that but that was just a trailer i am i think i'm two episodes behind but he's he's played around a little bit you know he loves his, his digital okay. shit um okay. he knows how to shoot a city and he knows how to shoot and i mean he knows how to make things uh interesting looking so yeah i would say you're getting some of that i am not a fan of of miami vice as we've discussed and it's it's not even hitting near the note of that collateral right. is on because collateral is a whole different right. beast. But I mean, it's stylish. It's very stylish. I would rather have a new Michael Mann movie, kind of, because I didn't like Black Hat. So I don't really know where I stand with Michael Mann, honestly, because like I don't know if he's just done because he's been writing as well. Like he wrote a novel, he wrote a Heat sequel. So it's just really yeah, weird. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I know where I stand with Michael Mann. I love Michael Mann and always will. But I, I don't know where he stands in his career. You know what I mean? Because Black Hat, I, I'm enough of a man apologist to defend that movie. But it's also like, 
come on, we, we, we all know it wasn't, you know, up to snuff with his best work. And that horse racing series that he made with the Deadwood creator was obviously only nine episodes. And it was also debatable of whether or not how much of that was David Milch and how much of it was Michael Mann. So, I mean, you know, it, I don't know, like it, everything since public enemies has just been kind of, you know, kind of, eh, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I, I didn't think that show was very good. Uh, and also the reason it got shut down, fuck all those guys anyway. Oh yeah. Cause they were killing um, all the horses and shit. So I don't, I can't speak to that, but I mean, I, I think no, I don't Tokyo vice is, I think it's a solid show. It's worth watching. It's not as good as, as we own the city, but well, I'm going to have to, um, I'm going to have to, de- I mean, we own the city. I'll definitely keep an eye on, but, um, yeah, I'm 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 up for any Michael Mann project. So I really I didn't even know it was out. So I'm gonna have to jump on that. So so the yeah, it had a three episode premiere. Like I think they dropped three episodes in one day. So and this well, this is an interesting this is an interesting thing too. Are these you know because I know you know HBO is very um, uh, conscious or very like deliberative about which mo- which shows are actually airing on Sunday night and. You know, like for however many weeks it was Euphoria, and now it's that Winning Time show. Are the are those shows you just mentioned, the Michael Mann and the David Simon show? Are they actually being shown on HBO, or are they streaming exclusives? Because that feels kind of like a a ghetto almost. You know, like no idea. I just know we own this city drops on Monday nights is when I can watch them on HBO Max. So I don't know. And Tokyo Vice, I've, I'm, I'm still catching up. So I don't know when they, I don't know if they air it or I don't know if they do. I don't know when they do. Damn, that's interesting. Because those seem to me like they'd be two big marquee shows. But instead, all I hear about on HBO is Winning Time, which, uh, have you watched any of that? Yeah, I've watched like two episodes. Uh, I, yeah, actually, John Drake and I got into it a little bit last week. Um, oh, okay. and, I, and I do like it. I just, I wouldn't say I love it, but it's just worth watching. It's fun. It's like just, uh, I just view it as like just kind of entertainment opposed to anything. It's pretty superficial. Um, yeah, I watched, I watched fun. the first episode and mostly enjoyed it. I just, Adam McKay has that thing, which we talked about on when we talked about Don't Look Up of like, he is so scared he's going to lose your attention, you know? And so he's like, just like always switching up the camera styles and all the fast editing for like no reason. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's got, it's got more uh, cuts per minute than like the born supremacy. And it's like a, a basketball show, you know, like, I don't know that, that, that yeah. style just like gets on my nerves. It's just like, come on, man, just, just make a TV show, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not like his biggest fan anymore. I, I, I think that, um, that he he's had a couple of misfires, obviously the asteroid movie. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I just I just don't care. I just I just he doesn't register to me right much anymore. Like a new project of his, like doesn't make me want to be like, oh man, I got to check this shit out. Sure. So. But anyway, guys, in case you haven't uh, realized yet, we are doing another episode that's a little uh, a little outside of what we normally do. Jacob is still traveling and 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 dealing with some stuff, so we're just going to. Uh, gonna do this yeah. yeah just gonna shoot the shit uh silver screen video laid back edition this is uh you know maybe after dark you know after dark a little bit you know just shooting the shit waiting for uh that 10 o'clock hour to hit so we can we can close the store you know that kind of thing 
anyway, so yeah, yeah, laid back. That's a good way to put it. Um, better, better than the way I just put it, which you guys didn't hear. <laughs> um, so <laughs> anyway, I've got a couple of things we can talk about. Last time, we actually got a lot of good feedback from you guys. We talked about the Martin Scorsese list um, by a writer over at uh, Slash Film. We talked about Robert Eggers a little bit and a few more things. Speaking of which, I have seen The Northman three more times since we recorded Jesus. that. Because You've seen I'm, it four total times? Yes, and I'm trying to do the heavy lifting, and I blame everybody who's listening who hasn't went and saw the movie. I'm sorry, but it's your fault. You know what? I'll, I'll take the blame so, for that. You know, I should have. Uh... Well, you kind of get a pass. You get a pass clearly. Oh, gee, thanks. Um, with some things going on, <laughs> uh, but but other people, no, I'm sorry. If you don't feel safe going to the movies, put a mask on, wear a saran wrap suit. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but just go see the movie, folks. Folks, people are saying you wear saran wrap. The virus goes bye bye. <laughs> All I know is it hits VOD on Friday and it pains my soul. Wait, what? And everyone who was holding out. Yeah, dude, exactly. It hits VOD Friday. So now everyone oh, no. who was holding out is going to watch it because it flopped terribly. But it's like, no, you need to experience this on like the big screen, like the 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 music and, and the noises and everything. Like, uh, I don't know, man. Dude, well, see, I'm I'm gonna be in a little bit of a dilemma because I really don't have access to a, a decent TV right now. In fact, the the best quality screen I really have access to is my laptop, which um, I certainly don't want to watch Northman. You know, I mean, like I don't mind. I know we I know we disagree on this. I don't mind watching you know shit like that at home, but if but I want I, I want to watch it on my like nice you know big screen. You know what I mean? Like I want to watch it on my nice 4K TV. Like I don't want to watch it on my laptop but on the other hand i really really want to watch it so like i don't know i'm probably gonna wait but still i i do want to watch it well we do disagree but i'll ask you because i have a 65 inch 4k tv as well i'll ask you is your tv as big as a theater screen <laughs> okay you don't have to answer can if you, you don't cut want me to. some fucking slack okay <laughs> i'm just saying under normal circumstances I still disagree with you on that, but that's here nor there. Um, it needs to be watched on a big screen. I'm sorry, but uh, look, you well, know, some of us, some of us are in like some of us are basically off the grid. Like I, I think my the GPS on my phone is like not even working technically. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Jacob is currently being detained in a bunker. <laughs> I'm at a black site facility. And, uh... <laughs> uh, anyway. So before we jump into what I have, uh, which is we're just going to talk about Doctor Strange for like two hours. Oh, okay. Spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> um, just joking. I've not seen it yet. Oh, wait a uh, second. I can't watch Doctor Strange. I haven't seen the uh, 22 hours of Disney plus Marvel TV shows, so I won't know what's going on. I can't speak to that because I have not watched. Actually, that's not true. Actually, I'm glad you said that. We'll jump into something in one second. First, I have to ask you. Clearly, you've been dealing with some things. You're busy. Have you had a chance to watch anything of note? Dude, honestly, no. I, I've th This is kind of sad and pathetic, but I've been like, I've been on Letterboxd. Like, um, I, you know, I don't know. I'll talk about this for a little bit, but like, it won't take up much. Uh, there's not a lot of meat on this bone. It's just something I've been thinking about. I've been thinking about you know, I, I finally got a nice TV and finally got a nice, uh, you know, 4K Blu-ray player. So I've been 
you know, I'm 35 years old. I've been thinking about, you know, kind of uh, building a, well, not DVD, but a Blu-ray collection that is uh, not just, you, you know, because like I'm sure some of our listeners out there can relate to it. It's like, why do I own a copy of this again? You know, like it's like, why do I even like a Criterion movie? You know, I'll be like, why do I own a copy of Merrily, Merrily We Go to Hell? Like, why did I buy that just because it was an old movie, you know, at Barnes and Noble? You know, like I've never seen it. I don't even really know anything about it, you know, so like. I'm trying to focus on only buying Blu-rays that are kind of very important to me and ones that I really want to have on hand to be able to put on or ones that I really want to watch like the best quality of, you know, like I, I just got the Kino Lorber. Um, I can't watch it yet, but I just bought the Kino Lorber, uh, some like it hot and uh, uh, the apartment 4k you know, uh, cause I, I want to have, you know, I want to have, those are a couple of my favorite movies and I want to be able to watch them at the highest quality possible. You know, obviously it's not that way for every movie, but you know, for the special ones it is. And so I've been on a little bit of a project to kind of like, what are the, what are the movies that really mean something that I really want to have like a nice physical copy of, you know? And I think I learned something about myself when I was putting this together, right? Because th- this is basically just a busy box, <laughs> like for me to like work on until I can finally get back to like you know a nice my nice TV and my DVD collection. But like, um, I think my relationship is changing to one of my favorite directors, or I think he's turning from one of my favorite directors into one of the directors that I admire the most, which are two different things, you know and it's true who is it's orson wells and i still admire orson wells very much in fact i think he's one of the one of the best to ever do it maybe maybe the the best career in hollywood in the sense that like um you know his movies were about kind of grand failure you know from the very beginning with citizen kane and he kind of lived that he lived that life he literally lived the life of charles foster kane essentially but like the you know the hollywood or the creative version but like there's something about his bombast and his um his uh expressionism that is kind of alienating to me the older i get you know what i'm saying like i'm thinking about like Othello or Chimes at Midnight or even the other side of the wind, you know, there's not a lot of breathing room. There's not a lot of quote unquote vibes in these movies. You know, they're very um, bombastic and theatrical. And I really admire him for that. And I think he's one of the most consistent and one of the most, especially for working with the, the, the few resources that he did later on in his career and I don't think his films are diminishing in power, but I think they're just getting to be less and less personal to me. You know, I used to relate to him on a very, you know, deep level, but now I don't, I don't think I do anymore. You know, I don't, I don't find the, the grand failure narrative as romantic as I used to, you know? And I think that is, that's putting up a little bit of a wall between me and, uh, and old Orson. You know, I don't know. Do you have anything like this? Do you have any directors who you still admire or think they are as great as you always have, but just you have personally fell a little out of love with them over the years? 
Uh, not really, because I mean, everybody, everything that I watch, like clearly certain certain subject matter changes uh or, or, or i change on certain things like when i was younger i used to think like ah oh, joe pesci's so cool and goodfellas or something right. but that has changed but in terms of like my feelings changing towards a director or their or, or their work uh any cop any type of way other than like just a form of emotional maturity on my point like maturing more uh not really i mean well i because I mean, honestly, I still and I still enjoy most of that. Well, I think I may have, I don't know, I, I may be describing it poorly, but I feel that like that's kind of what's going on. A certain kind of emotional maturity where that just, you know, that 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 grand failure thing that 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 Orson Welles was so good at portraying and you know living in some ways, uh, it just doesn't appeal to me on the same level. I I still respect him and I think he's a genius and all that, but it just my personal connection to it doesn't feel as strong as it used to because I was thinking about like, okay, all right, well, which, which Orson Welles movies am I going to put in my permanent collection? You know, how many Orson Welles movies? And, you know, he's got a lot of great uh, criterion editions and there's a Kino Lorber 4k uh, touch of evil release that just came out. And like, I was just thinking about him and I was like trying to think of like, okay, did, do these movies mean anything to me anymore? Do, you know, does, does lady from, do I relate to Orson Welles's confusion in the lady from Shanghai anymore? Am I, you know, what, you know, and, and I don't know, it just caused me to do like some soul searching with my relationship to Orson Welles. And I was just like, I don't think I, I, I don't, I, I just don't think I'm in love with him the way that I used to be, you know, in love with his art. I don't know. Well, I mean, I get that because obviously there there are movies that I fall out of love with, but there's there's really no directors that I loved 10, 15, 20 years ago that I don't still love more or, or still love or love more. Right, right. Honestly, like the older I get, I appreciate I start to appreciate certain movies from Scorsese that I didn't appreciate when I was younger. Right. right like the last time I watched Last Temptation or Coon Dune, like there are certain things that I appreciate more now. Same with Tarantino, uh, Stanley Kubrick. I mean, all these people, these directors that I love. Uh, so yeah, I see what you mean about falling out of love with certain movies, but not so much directors. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought I'd bring it up because it's like, I, like I said, I've just been have creating letterbox lists of just like, I need to get, you know, these 40 movies on dvd or whatever and like i just i found myself at with orson wells i was just like you know what i don't think i i think i'll revisit them when i when i can or when i want to or whatever but like i don't i don't think they hold a place close to my heart anymore like like they used to you know i don't know i don't know it just um maybe maybe this is the kind of thing that would be better written in an essay or something but uh yeah i don't know Maybe like a piece, a piece of your humanity is just dying. Could be, you know, could be, hopefully we'll see, you know, <laughs> anyways, but let's get um, to the more fun topic. I'm sure you've got something fun here. I, I have a couple of things first before we get to the really fun topic. Uh, one is, look, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this because I am so over the bashing of shit that we all should just collectively agree on is is bad for art and everything. So I don't want to jump on the Marvel bandwagon here of, of hating it because 
we've made our feelings more than clear about Marvel, you know? So, um, but I watched Moon Knight. I watched all six episodes. Oh, okay. And I am a huge fan of Egyptian history. I'm a huge fan of Egyptian lore. They're they're gods, everything. And when I was younger, I loved. Yeah, that's the thing. Moon Knight is like. He he gets his powers from an Egyptian god. Now I'm not going to nerd out here. I read it when I was a kid. I really enjoyed it. It was very violent. He he had multiple uh, personalities. So some of them liked to kill people, and some of them didn't. He typically was very physical. So in the comics, there was a lot of blood and beatings and stuff like that. And it was fun. Like it was just really fun to read and all that. And Disney just basically um, castrated everything cool about Moon Knight. <laughs> <laughs> oscar isaac looked like he was having no fun whatsoever i don't know what the fuck ethan hawk was doing and in my opinion ethan hawk is one of our better actors working love ethan hawk i don't know if it was just the paycheck or what but it was embarrassing the cgi was bad dude it was so bad i almost didn't finish it i got like three episodes in and i was like i can't i can't do this but then I talked myself into doing it and I really have nothing positive to say about it. The CGI was abominable. It was some of the worst CGI I've ever seen in a Marvel outside of like black Panther at the end of it. When they're fighting that CGI was awful. Looked like a couple of Gumby's hitting each other. (laughs) Um, So I'm just tired of this lazy ass, uh, this lazy ass CGI man, because people need to remember when they're watching this, this isn't, this isn't like fucking new, but I'll say it anyway. This had to pass several people's eyes and several people were okay with giving a subpar product. Right, right. Same goes for their movies too. Like I have not seen Dr. Strange. I'm clearly going to go see it because fuck it. It's part of everything. And, and I, and I, I love Sam Raimi. I have to watch it because there's no Sam Raimi movie I've never watched. So, but I've heard the CGI is awful. But at least with that, they get kind of a pass because you never know if that's part of Raimi's work. Like Raimi likes the horror, like kind of crazy over the top fake looking shit. So that could work. I haven't seen it, so I can't speak to it. I haven't um, obviously seen either of those things, but um, yeah, Moon Knight. (laughs) It's so funny. I forgot Moon Knight existed. I had to remember what you were talking about for a second, but I think that the Marvel TV shows have, have, definitely gotten less uh it's been all downhill as far as like culturally speaking from wandavision because like wandavision it seemed like everybody was talking about i mean i haven't seen any of these so i don't i don't know anything about anything me either but it like it seemed like everybody was talking about wandavision and then like like the subsequent series just kept getting less and less talked about to where like they just like dropped moon knight i was like it took me a second i was like moon knight like what the fuck is that um well what's funny is obviously i have to say i have not seen it but wandavision i think is six episodes or eight episodes and apparently it gives her a really big character arc that results in like a lot of shit so then they throw her in doctor strange 2 i have not read anything because i don't want any spoilers if i'm going to go see it i at least want to be surprised but it almost like you're actively trying to undo six hours of character work. Like, well, I, I, it's like, you're just going to throw her in this movie and be like, yeah, hey, remember that shit you learned before who gives a fuck? Well, I think also it's like, 
it's like the thing that I think Bob Iger said it directly where he was like, yeah, like you, we, we're making movies that you have to have seen, you know, like the Marvel TV shows in order to understand. And it's like, dude, I, buddy, like, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I mean, I guess some people are going to watch them all, but I don't know. It's it just, that's uh, a lot, that's a lot to ask for the, the humble, uh, you know, uh, comic book movie watcher, you know? Yeah, fuck that. If I have questions, I'll just ask some people I know who've watched all that shit. I'm not gonna watch it. Yeah, the mount, um, the multiverse of madness thing. I forgot Sam Raimi directed. I've, I've I've seen some people say like this movie is like so crazy. Raimi, you've done it again. And then I've seen some people that are like, like this is not Raimi craziness. This movie just doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> like it's there's there's only there's really only one person who I pay attention to that I've been listening to for years. And he said that you can tell like a third of this or two thirds of it is a true Raimi movie. And the rest of it is studio interference, fan service and shit just to set up sequels and introduce characters because they literally don't know what they're doing. They've lost any cohesiveness they had for the first, whatever phase we're fucking on now. And, uh, and yeah, so I don't know. I think we're on phase 69. Uh, hey, oh, um, hey-o. so before we before we get to this, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Or should I say the the water elephant thing in the room? I don't good. know. That was Avatar good. 2. That was really good. <laughs> Avatar 2 came out and the world stood in awe of how great the CGI is. And before I let you go off on it, for the love of God, keep it in your pants. Um, I don't have a problem with it. I think the first Avatar is dog shit, but it was beautiful. Like instead, it was eye candy, essentially. Um, This one looks fantastic. I think it looks mind-blowing. But to everybody like going crazy about the CGI, I'm sorry, but it took this man like 14 years to do this. So the CGI better be this great. Like you don't devote, Basically, Cameron has devoted the rest of his life on this earth to making Avatar sequels, which, hey, great, that's awesome. It's just as fucked up as Marvel movies, but that's here nor there. Um, but it looks great. It looks great, genuinely. Look, I, I, but I'm go not, ahead. I'm not going to take debate on this, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to go off onto a big thing. But you just you saying it's just the same as Marvel movies is literally insane. You just talked about. It's going to be. I'm sorry. It's going to be like, like I'm. I'm not trying to be like, like he. He has plans for like four more sequels or something. So I'm sorry. After the third or fourth one, it's going to be just like any other franchise. It's going to be like any other repetitive shit. It's just going to look beautiful. I'm sorry. I would rather have Cameron movies. I would rather him do more shit than just exist in this world of blue motherfuckers running around. I'm sorry, okay? All right. Well, first of all, first of all, if you if you know anything about James Cameron, you know not to believe any of the shit that he says about the movies he's going to make. So, I don't even know if there will be four sequels. He's already been fil- he's already almost done with filming the third one. What are you talking about? I'm just saying, I, are you are we sure there's going to be four sequels? I guess it depends on how much money these next two make, but this studio's in it to win it. I can't even imagine the hundreds of millions of dollars they've invested in that crazy old coot. You know what, man? I really didn't need this today. 
I really, you, you, I'm not being mean you about are. Avatar. You're being negative saying. about it. You're talking about how it's just going to be just like Marvel or whatever. Like, okay, fine. We'll have that conversation in fucking 10 years when all the movies come out. God damn it. But I'm not going to. Okay. You're yeah. right. It was an unfair statement. I take it back. I'm Thank sorry. You. Okay. I appreciate it because this is the opposite of the Marvel shit. You know, who knows what's going to happen in the future, but right now you have the essentially the exact opposite of this Marvel shit. You have a guy who's taking his fucking time to make sure that he has everything right and everything good to put out a good, you know, big blockbuster product. Uh, also, this is coming out of my birthday. So thank you, James. I, I see you. I hear you. I appreciate you. Thank you. What day is it coming out? So everyone knows your birthday. Uh, December 16th, 1986 is the day that it's coming out. So, <laughs> Um, that's December 16th. Yeah. And what's your social? Um, <laughs> five, nine, one. <laughs> um, no, it really doesn't start with that. Um, anyways. Uh, so, I mean, I don't, I don't have a lot to say other than I'm just fucking excited. I'm like, I'm sorry, but like this shit, like, you know, and like, I'm not going to get into a huge argument here, but like, if you're, if you're into the fucking spectacle shit and you're into the whole movie going theater experience, the rigmarole or whatever, which I know you are. And theoretically I am like, this should be exciting. These are big fucking once in a decade events, right? Like it's not like he's just cranking out avatar sequels year after year to make money. You know, this is clearly a, a once in a decade event. And you know, I'm I'm very excited. Like the CGI looks good. Of course it does. It looks great. I'm excited. CGI looks awesome. Like and like No, it does look great. And I'm not trying to take that away from him, but dude, it, it he's been working on it for 14 years. It better look great. Like it better look seamless. I, mean, I guess. But that's, but that's like like why do you have such a negative attitude? That's like saying like Martin Scorsese's been working on this movie for uh, up to uh, like two or three years now. It better be good, of course. You know, like oh no, that's just absurd. That is not the how same is that thing. not the same thing? It literally you're being negative for no good reason. The man is working on a movie. It's taken him a long time because he's a perfectionist, and because honestly, he's a megalomaniacal, you know, fucking freak who essentially creates like uh, a city that like works on the entire movie. You know, I think it rules, man. I think we need more shit like this. This is awesome. This is like autourism at the highest at the highest uh, scale. And I'm looking forward to it. And maybe it'll be dog shit. You know, I doubt it because it's James Cameron. But like, you know, this is we should be celebrating this. This is great. This is what this is like Cecil B. DeMille shit. This is like what movies are, you know, this is a return to like huge, like spectacle blockbuster like old hollywood style movie making and i'm it's awesome it rules yeah you know what you just gotta suck all the energy out of the fucking room don't you you don't you you're a sick sad little man you son of a bitch i was not i was not being dude i wasn't even being mean about the movie i don't understand while you're taking it as a personal affront, you were about the avatars. You were, you were I just don't mean. know you're what's like, happening. I guess we're gonna talk about. It. I'm not gonna be mean about it, but it's gonna fucking suck. And James Cameron's fucking stupid. That's ex- I didn't say it was. That's gonna exactly suck. what you said. <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, let us know how you feel about the uh, 
about the James Cameron uh, Avatar. Sequel. And I'll tell you this, motherfucker. You, uh, you, I know you were making a little side comment about like the world stopped spinning. Uh, 148 million trailer views in one day proves right fucking there. People still care about Avatar, right? People talk about it having no cultural footprint. Oh, okay. Then why did why did uh, half the population of the United States watch it in one day? On a Monday of all days. Like, come on. Hey, man, you, you got me. I'm you're right. <laughs> I am right. I don't know if you're being sarcastic or not. You it's are. True. I'm not I'm not being sarcastic. I'm not. You're right. The The cultural footprint of Avatar is clear from the 146 million people who watch the trailer on Monday. You're being sarcastic, aren't you? I'm not. Anyway, listen. You are. Guys, but why are you being get... sarcastic? That's those are real numbers. I know, dude. You're I, I, a lot of people, man. A lot of people uh, watch the trailer. I, I know. I know you're. I know you're doing some. I know you're doing some kind of bit or some kind of little sneaky thing. I don't know what it is, but fuck you. I'm excited about Avatar. Let's go, December sixteenth. I need this, James. James, I need it. I need this movie. This has been a rough year for me. I thank you for releasing this movie on my birthday. All right, fine. Let's move on to the fucking uh, thing. You can't, you can't grab directors by the arm screaming, I need this, I need well, this. If, James, if, um, if I ran into James Cameron, <laughs> I'm telling you, that's the first thing I'm going to do. Um, and This is a good time for a shameless plug. Go listen to episode 90, where we discussed James Cameron with special guest Jack Allison. And I fend off uh, Jack and Jacob from their Avatar love. Uh, I've been, I, I, I'm by myself. I'm swinging, uh, trying to stay alive. So, uh, yeah, good. I wish we'd it. put a fucking stake in you right then and there. Uh, I'm not a vampire. You don't have to stake yeah, well, me. It would have been for my own pleasure. <laughs> a long time ago, I found this lit. I didn't find it. I mean, it was clearly posted on something and it was Kurosawa's top 100 movies. Like his favorite, like his movies? top favorite films. Yeah. Like his top favorite films of all Ooh, time. Okay. This We're is clearly exciting. not going to go through. We're not going to go through all hundred because that's a lot of fucking things. Right. So what I did was we're going to look at his top 10. And then I found what I believe to be a pretty good source. Um, I found Stanley Kubrick's top 10 and Quentin Tarantino's top. 10. Ooh. Okay. All right. Very exciting. So, so we're going to discuss a couple of these, a couple of these movie lists. Cause for those of you that don't remember, uh, a while back, we did Jacob found a list of Martin Scorsese's like favorite films, and we picked a couple of them, and and did them. And actually, I had the episode written down, and now I lost it. So oh, I will find it, it while I'm talking. Uh, I really, I really dropped the ball. Yeah, but, you um, did. You fucking dropped. Yeah, it. no, one of them was the leopard. <laughs> what? <laughs> one of them was the leopard, which was fantastic. God, what a yeah, movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, um, that's actually, that's one of the ones that's on my, like, permanent Blu-ray collection is, like, I gotta get the leopard on 4K, man. That's that such a beautiful movie. Dude, it's so fucking good. Uh, so, so at that point, we decided, we never returned to it, and we might one day, but at that point, we decided, like, hey, to do this, like, why don't we pick random directors and, like, do their, a movie, a couple of movies from their favorite. Uh, episode 53, uh, director film picks Martin Scorsese. So 
we did that and we may return to it one day. Shit, we may even do one off of these lists, but uh, I will let you do the honors. Do you want to look at the top 10 of Tarantino, Kubrick, or Kurosawa first? I'll tell you what, my curiosity is, I'll, I'll tell you the order, like depending on how much time we have left of that I am interested in them. Tarantino is last because I feel like I, I don't know, I've talked enough about him or know enough about him as a filmmaker. I'm interested in Kurosawa's, but honestly, I'm most interested in Kubrick because I don't think I've ever seen a list like this of like Stanley Kubrick's favorite movies. And we all we all know, like we both have completely divergent feelings on Kubrick. So I'm interested to uh, let's do Kubrick first. I want I want to hear his top 10. Okay, basically what we'll do is uh, is we'll we'll probably we'll probably just do Kubrick because we're going to spend some time on this. So that means you guys can stand by for the Kurosawa and the Quentin Tarantino we'll do at some point. Because honestly, um, you know, the numbers the last time we did an episode like this were pretty good and Jacob's still traveling. So odds are we'll do another one. Just uh, so so we'll, we'll have some, we'll have some uh, we'll have, we'll be able to talk about it with you yeah, guys. Yeah, and I, uh, I just want to throw this out there too. Yeah, like I'm, I'm going to be traveling for a little bit. So, we, you know, might be a little while until we get back to our reg- regularly scheduled programming. And you guys seem to like this um this kind of more laid back stuff anyway so we got a couple of things in the pipeline might do like a silver screen six pack we haven't done one of those in a while um i've got a couple little interesting uh interesting things up my sleeve like i was thinking about what we could we could maybe build another top 10 list you know i told somebody about that that we did that and they were like you should do that again um so maybe we could do one of those um yeah maybe we could maybe we could come up with a, a month you know of maybe this kind of alternative content maybe no absolutely i'm always down to do a top 10 list and speaking of lists kubrick uh we're gonna we're gonna i I forgot to preface it with this kubrick is not a big fan of lists he does not take them too seriously um but these are the movies that he he picks so anyway that that's i wanted to say that but yeah i'm always down to do a top 10 list and we've also had some people reach out about silver screen six pack so what do you know do we uh are these in order or are they like alphabetical uh, they're not in any type of order. It's just listed as Stanley Kubrick's top 10 favorite okay. films. Okay, all right. So I've seen every one of these except for two of them. Okay, all right. I'm interested. Let's so see. Uh, the first one we discussed on a Fellini episode is I Vitaloni. Interesting. Okay. Which was a fantastic movie. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is a great movie. I wonder what Kubrick likes about it. Um, hmm, that's. A, I don't know. Well, you have I any mean, take, you have any take there? Like, it's like it's just a random movie. I'm kind of like, hmm, I don't know. I don't really know what he likes about it because Kubrick's sensibilities would lead you to believe he wouldn't care too much about the concept of I Vid alone. Yeah. It's kind of like a warm. Cause the movie. next one makes perfect sense, but this one does not. Yeah. I don't know. Is that the only Fellini movie on there? Maybe it's just his favorite Fellini. It is the only Fellini movie yeah. on here. He actually has a Fellini movie and an Antonioni. Okay. So the next one is another movie we've discussed that I absolutely found to be so trippy and weird. Uh, Wild Strawberries by Ingmar Bergman. Mm, okay, that makes sense. This I totally understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Boy, uh, two very uh, uh, moving movies, you know, very like emotional and human 
movies, which is obviously not something. Hey, Kubrick wasn't a robot, okay, pal. <laughs> regardless of what you, regardless of what you think or say, he was a real boy. <laughs> this is making me like Kubrick a little more. Um, yeah, okay. Oh, perfect. Then the next one's really gonna put you over the oh, moon. Boy. Citizen Kane, Orson Welles. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I feel like he's really going, um, picking some like pretty typical classics here, which is you know, which is good, I guess. Would you like to know what Kubrick's and, and this is actually pretty timely, and I'm going to use this to uh, to fill time when I look up this episode. Uh, we just recently did an episode about this particular person um, that I'm trying to find seamlessly. You guys don't even know I'm looking. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we did a we did a Kazan episode, mm. and uh, and I don't know why I can't find it because I. Feel like we've recently done it. Wait, I'm, um, I'm, I'm I'm gonna go back to one thing you said. It's just dawned on me. You said that you thought Wild Strawberries was trippy. Is that true? Yeah, it just kind of like. Uh, by the way, Elia uh, Kazan, episode one twenty three. We did it on the waterfront and a face in the crowd. Oh, okay. uh, so go back and listen to that, and I'll tell you why that's relevant in a minute. Yeah, dude, it's kind of trippy. It's just I remember feeling these strange feelings about getting old and age and the passage of time, right, right, and right. it just kind of really messed with my head. Okay, I got you. Big, uh, big influence on the Irishman, I would say. Even the whole, the whole plot framing device of the Irishman is kind of based on wild strawberries. I think. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, in 1957, Kubrick said of Kazan, "Without question, the best director we have in America, and he's capable of performing miracles with the actors he uses." You know. That's tough. <laughs> That's 1957, the best director we ever have, or we have. I mean, you know, okay. All right. You know. I'm not familiar enough with American directors working in 57. Everyone that I like, like a lot of the, a lot of them that we like and we've discussed, Coppola, Scorsese, Cassavetes, all of them came about 10, 15 years later. So 57 is tough. I mean, you know, to Hitchcock was working then Orson Welles was still working then Howard Hawks was still working then Sam Fuller, like, you know, you're talking about uh, a murderer's road. Yeah. But they were kind of on the tail end a little, not, not, not it's probably Cooper or not um, Hitchcock, but I mean, Kazan was in the middle That's of true. It in 57. That's true. And you know, also, but I don't know. I, I do not know enough to, to agree or disagree with that. Statement. Well, also, like, I think it's 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 I think it's really in, what I think is really interesting about Kubrick and me personally. I think his most famous or the most interesting to me personally is the fact that he was, you know, a Bronx kid from New York who, you know, um, was really kind of a genius newspaper photographer or I should say magazine photographer. And so. I can understand in 1957, I mean, he's probably what about to make paths of glory or he just made paths of glory. You know, I can, I can see how the, uh, the, you know, cause Kazan, we, we talked about that in our Kazan episode. Kazan was very New York based, you know, it was that whole Brando, James Dean, that whole school of acting in New York and stuff. And so I can see why the kind of naturalism and uh, that whole kind of thing would would very much appeal to Kubrick in 1957, you know, because um, it was very in vogue, you know, that was, that was, uh, you know, and he, and he films the killing with, with quite a bit of naturalism as well. You know, that it's not, it's not a studio bound as, you know, some of those other directors I mentioned. So I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. 
I'll also tell you, Charlie Chaplin uh, has something in common on the uh, on Kurosawa's top ten and Kubrick's top ten, just with different ones. Okay. So that's interesting. All right. Um, the next one for Kurosawa, or not Kurosawa, Kubrick, The Treasure of Sierra Madre, John Houston, nineteen forty-eight. Interesting. Okay. It kind of kind of a dark movie. Okay, I get it. Do you like this movie? I'm a Very little mixed dark. on it. Oh, I love this really? movie. What's wrong with the Treasure of Sierra Madre? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I'm just not sure it deserves to be as lauded as it is. You know, I, mean, I think maybe it might be a bit overrated. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I I love you know my feelings on Bogart. I love him so much, but I just think he he maybe is uh punching above his weight class in that you know above his pay grade in that movie that's that's i don't know i don't know well i mean I'm, i can't i i honestly don't know how the movie's rated i know that i like it i know it's not on my top 10 uh so i don't really know where the movie if it's if it's rated underrated overrated i don't really know because i don't i, I honestly don't see too many people talk about it I, I like it but i mean that's pretty much all there is that's where it stops for me you know i think you know I, i'll say this i what we should do a John Houston episode because I think there might need to be a reckoning. There might need to be a reappraisal with John Houston. I don't think he's nearly the director that he gets credit for. Um, like I, I, I think he might be one of the most overrated directors in the history of Hollywood. But so you just fired a major shot about a Hollywood legend. You just kind of threw it out. I know, there. I know. I, I yeah, and I can't really elaborate on it now. But I, I don't know. I really like his adaptation of The Dead. With with his daughter Angelica, um, but isn't that just because of James Joyce? You know, like I, I don't know, I don't know. I yeah, I got I got a Houston hot take. I don't know. I'll I'll formulate it and I'll put it back in the lab and let it cook a little bit and then bring it up down the line. Well, I mean, yeah, let it cook a little bit. You've just said he's might be the most overrated director in the history of Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, well, how much longer has it got to cook? Mean- <laughs> Yeah, can't get much hotter. <laughs> I mean, besides Kubrick, you know, maybe that's what they had in common. You know, I don't know. Uh, you know what? I'm not taking that bait because you're just mad about Avatar, and I don't have to take this. So, uh, all right. Anyways, uh, so the next one, City Lights, Charlie Chaplin, 1931. Okay. I feel like everyone can agree on this. I mean, he's a fucking. We just did a Charlie Chaplin episode, oddly enough, uh, a few weeks back, and we did the Gold Rush and the Great Dictator. So uh, go listen to that if you haven't. But I mean, yeah, Charlie, he's a fucking. He's a legend. He's he's one of the most meticulous, perfectionist, um, uh, great actor, writer, directors of American cinema. Is City Lights so, your favorite Chaplin, or is it Modern Times? Modern times. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm 99% sure it's modern times. You know, it's really hard to, to like, I'm not going to say that wouldn't change, but for now I would say modern times is probably it because it's just, I think a lot of city lights, but man, the gold rush, I think is the funniest to me like that, that dude, modern times, just uh, modern times had me laughing for every single minute it's 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 hard to beat when he it's hard to beat when he gets just absolutely clobbered by that uh breakfast machine that's really hard to beat oh yeah dude that and the wrenches and trying to keep up with the belt which like was was obviously like very 
uh, well done when Lucy did it on her. I mean, it's been done on a lot of shows, yeah. but I remember seeing it on I Love Lucy before I ever saw City Lights sure. as a yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, so, so City Lights makes sense. That there is a little bit of light in the dark heart of the of the cinema robot that is Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> right, right. Um, the next one, and, and by the way, I do have, there's a couple of notes that uh, Kubrick's right-hand man uh, said about this list, which we'll revisit. One of them pertains to this movie. Okay. Uh, Henry V, Laurence Olivier, 1944. Really? Now that's an interesting pick. I have not seen this movie in years. And is am I remembering it correctly? Isn't this like three and a half hours long? Or am I thinking of another one? Hmm. I don't know how long it is. I, I think it is pretty long. But, it, you know, what's interesting is this, this is also a, a shout out to our... Um, you know, I think this was uh, this was a very influential movie for people of a certain age because uh, our our buddy David Thompson uh, talked about how this was one of the first. I think he he said this was the first movie that made him fall in love with movies was seeing uh, it yeah. as a child. And there's, um, you know, I've seen it, but I don't I don't like Henry V the 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 Shakespeare play very well. But I mean it is a pretty big like spectacle of a movie. Like there is a, I think it's the battle of Agincourt. I don't, I, I think that's the name of the battle, uh, which is in the middle of the movie. And it is just like incredible. Like it is one of those like old fashioned, you know, spectacles. Um, but that, that, that's well, I remember pick. being pretty blown away by it. Um, no, it is an interesting pick, like this period piece costume kind of thing. I mean, it makes sense for like Barry Lyndon. It's just very different subject right. matter. But clearly he has some type of interest in that time period. Right. Um, for anybody that, that wants to watch it, it's on HBO Max. I actually just added it to my queue because I'm going to revisit it. It's only two hours and 20 minutes, so it's not as long as I thought. Okay, yeah, I like I like, uh, you know, Richard the third is is kind of it's kind of interesting. But I like Olivier's Hamlet. Like, I know there's there's like some you know, like, oh, Olivier's Hamlet is a little too, like, melodramatic, or he he doesn't hit the right notes or whatever, but I really like Olivier's Hamlet. I think um, I think that's probably my favorite Olivier Shakespeare adaptation. Um, but, yeah, anyways. I uh, I do like, I do like that one, but I have not, I, I, man, I don't even think I've seen, I don't know if I've seen all of it, or I just haven't seen it in years. I don't know. What, Olivier's Hamlet? So, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, um, you know, I mean, when you think about the Hamlets that are out there or just the Shakespeare adaptations in general, I mean, you know, the uh, uh, Olivier's are obviously great, but I don't know. I don't know if you've ever known. I, I don't remember the guy's name, but he is a Russian director that um, directed Shakespeare adaptations and they're in Russian, you know, obviously. So you're not hearing the Shakespearean language, but apparently uh, his adaptation of king lear and hamlet are like amazing it was like a soviet director in the 60s and 70s and they're they're like straight up not available on streaming or dvd or anything in the united states like you have to you know get them bootlegged but there was rumors that criterion was going to put them out as like a double like a double release um but it's just never happened. But I don't know. Do you, do you have, have you ever heard of that guy? I can't even remember his name off right off the top of my head. I think I've only heard of him because you've told me about him. Before. Oh, have I? Yeah. It's they're supposed to be yeah. amazing. Like I've heard they're like, like the comparison I always hear is thrown a blood in the sense that it like, it gives you the, 
feeling of the Shakespeare McPlay, like of Macbeth with Throne of Blood, but you're not getting the language, you know, like, um, yeah, I don't know. I've always been interested in checking. Well, I'll go out. ahead. And, I'll go ahead and do this plug again. Go see uh, the Northman in theaters if you want to see a great Hamlet. Right. Speaking of Shakespeare. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next one I have not seen. Maybe you have so you can enlighten us a bit. Uh, Lenate by Michelangelo Antonioni. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen, not only have I seen it, I've written an essay about this movie. Um, really? Yeah, well, it's uh, uh, Philip Lopate, uh, my, uh, one of my professors and uh, close mentors. Um, he wrote an essay about Lenate. Uh, it's called, I think it's called Anticipating Lenate. And it's about anticipating the release of the movie and like being a part of like, the cinephile culture in New York city in the early sixties. And so I kind of, I wrote one called anticipating the dark Knight," um, which, uh, kind of talks about the degeneration of cinephile culture and how far we have fallen from that. Um, in some ways, and you know, in some ways, you know, the movies are more easier to access than ever. So it's a little bit a give and take, but, um, but yeah, no, Lenate is, um, probably my least favorite of the Antonioni trilogy, the La Aventura, Lenate, and there is a third one, uh, Ecclesé, I think is the uh, the other one. Um, I wonder what it is about Lenate he likes. Honestly, I can't differentiate them enough to know like what the details of this one are, but yeah. Yeah, I've never seen it. That was one of the ones I haven't seen, so I don't know. Um, the next one I have seen, it's been a while, it's a really weird choice, uh, The Bank Dick. By Edward F. Klein and Ralph Cedar from 1940 at W.C. Fields. <laughs> that is a crazy choice. I don't think I've ever seen this. It is a very crazy choice, and I honestly don't understand it at all. He must just think it's funny. I mean, you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen a W.C. Fields movie at all. Well, I guess it does answer the question uh, if robots can laugh. I don't even think this is streaming anywhere, honestly. Yeah, I've I've, I've, I've tried to, like... Uh, quote unquote get into wc fields but yeah a lot of his stuff is just not available anywhere yeah i just i I find it interesting that we have we have like when you look at this list we've got one we've got two comedies essentially already like like which is already two is more than i thought there would be Uh, you know so i'd be interested too if there's any information of when this list was put together um i can tell you oh okay um the lit the list was put together in 1963 he's he spoke to the uh, fledgling american magazine named cinema wow okay so i mean this is this is basically after lolita before strange love um and i guess maybe during 2001 space odyssey maybe that era Okay. Yeah, I mean, things get weirder with this next one, okay. which I've never seen. Roxy Hart, nineteen forty-two, Ginger Rogers. Huh. I now I recognize the name. Roxy Hart is the character in the musical Chicago, so I'm guessing it's like an adaptation yeah. of that story. Uh, Roxy Hart signs a murder confession in order to attract publicity for her dancing career as dames don't swing and cook country. Will everything go as planned? Question mark. So I have no idea. 
Yeah, no. She, yeah, she's the um, she's the character Renee Zellweger plays in the movie Chicago. Um, that's Roxy Hart. So I guess this must have been an early adaptation of that of that character because I think the musical Chicago is like uh, is pretty pretty old. I think um, that now that is a that's a true outlier. That's crazy. Yeah, that's that's weird, man. Um, the next one kind of makes sense. This last one. Hell's Angels, uh, Howard, from 19- Howard, uh, what's his name? Movie Howard Hughes movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. With unaccredited uh, Edmund Golding and James Well, who also I I don't think they helped write it, but uh, I have not seen this movie in twenty years. I don't even think it's streaming anywhere. But it's a war movie, so I mean, I guess it makes sense. It makes a hell of a lot more sense than the last two. I've never seen it. I know it's. I know it was supposed to be at the time that it was released. It was supposed to be a big spectacle, um, like one of the most expensive movies ever made or whatever um but that's interesting I've, I've never seen it i've never you know um it's not one of those movies that like makes the rounds you know that's like oh here's a restoration of it on the criterion channel or whatever you know like it's just one of those random old the only reason i think i even know about it is from the aviator you know like when when he's making movies in the aviator oh yeah yeah no, I just I watched a lot of war movies when I was a kid, and it was just to me it was just like any other one that I watched. I watched a lot of Audie Murphy movies, obviously John Wayne war movies and things like that. So this one I watched, I remember it being a bit more grander, like more grand than those. Okay. But I I did I wasn't aware enough to realize like no, this is like a pretty big spectacle. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. What is that the same movie? Is Hell's Angels the movie where? Because I don't know if you remember The Aviator that well, but there's a movie that they're filming where he's like, give the give the like put the camera in the plane, right? Like, like, like fly a plane up there and do pretend dogfighting, but like the person in the back, you know, the passenger is like has a camera, you know. Do you remember that? I do remember that. I'm trying to, I don't know if that was it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what movie it was. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know either way. All right. Kubrick sounds good, man. So, so wrap up notes would be while the list remains diverse, Kubrick's right hand man, Jan Harlan would later explain that Stanley would have seriously revised this 1963 list years later Mm. though wild strawberries citizen kane and city lights would remain he liked kenneth Branagh's henry v much better than the old and old-fashioned olivier version really okay now that's interesting so he liked it's almost like he liked the play more than he liked the movie yeah that that's what i was thinking as well like it's just something that he uh he was more into the source material so God, what is it about Henry the Fifth? Henry the Fifth is not as good as Henry the Fourth. I don't know what the what's uh, what's interesting about that. Um, yeah, um, that's that's fascinating. I mean, obviously, I assume some of the other ones are maybe like childhood favorites or just like your favorites as a young man that you just say are your favorite movies, and some of like you know maybe Roxy Hart, and some of them would have fallen off as he got older, but. Uh, yeah, that's that's a fascinating list, man. What's interesting is apparently he praised a lot of filmmakers who didn't even make this list. One of them, as we just discussed with Kazan, but 
Another one in 1957, Kubrick said, highest of all, I would rate Max Ophels, who for me possessed every possible quality. He has an exceptional flair for sniffing out good subjects, and he got the most out of them. He was also a marvelous director of actors. Yeah, the o- I'm not super familiar with Max Ophels. Yeah, Ophels was, uh, I think he, he started out in France, but he also made some American movies, um, or maybe it was vice versa. Maybe he... Uh, made some American movies and then went to France. But I mean, I know Letter from an Unknown Woman and um, Le Plaisir and uh, Lola Montez. Yeah, he, he's he's definitely got some classics. Um, the Earrings of Madame de uh, whatever. Um, but I think I think the primary um, I think the primary because I've heard of the Max Ophel's influence uh, with Kubrick before. And I think you see a lot of that with Kubrick's moving camera because Ophels was obviously he was not the first person to move a camera, but he he really did a lot with the moving camera. Like if you watch any of his movies, he's doing things that like they would really only do later with Steadicam. You know what I mean? Like he, he really is just like moving the camera on a level that wouldn't be possible for another you know 20 or 30 years or so. Um, and I think that is something that Kubrick really latched onto. I'm specifically thinking about um, the uh, moving shot of Kirk Douglas in Paths of Glory as he's walking down the trenches, which I think is just extraordinary. Um, the moving camera of uh, the guy jogging in the uh, in a in a circle in 2001: Space Odyssey, and especially the tricycle camera in uh the shining you know when the kids riding around and the camera is just like uh i don't know the camera is like a shark it's just like a few a few inches off the ground just like going over that carpet you know and i think though that that is some of the stuff that he really uh was influenced quite a lot by ophels because that's exactly the same shit that ophels was doing it's just that ophels didn't quite have the technology to do it he just did it anyways um that's that well it kind of irritates me that fritz lang doesn't get any love Mm, um right not just mentioned but also he he wasn't on the list but he didn't even get mentioned i mean that's kind of mind-blowing given the kind of shit he was doing um in 1960 kubrick said i believe bergman de sica and fellini are the only three filmmakers in the world who are not just artistic opportunists by this, I mean they don't just sit and wait for a good story to come along and then make it. Hmm. Did you say so, Bergman, DeSica, and Fellini? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I can kind of see that. Um, he added that they have pointed uh, they they have a point of view which is expressed over and over and over again in their films, and they themselves write or have original material written for them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I, I agree with you about Fritz Lang, though. Um, you know, I mean, the dude's a fucking god. I'm sorry, like he's one of the most like the, the, when when he made Metropolis in 1927, which we did a Fritz Lang episode, so this isn't news to any of our listeners. But I feel like we both agree that he is he's next level talent. But I mean, he made this epic masterpiece of a film in 1927. That's fucking insane. I'm sorry. I, I mean, any any director who is doing the kind of like m- like movie as architecture, you know, like like basically like a movie that 
has a lot of different moving parts and is like creating its own world, you know, like specifically science fiction movies, like, you know, obviously Nolan or, you know, Kubrick. Um, but I think really any, you know, director who is building a huge, big world, that's a big, you know, kind of grand spectacle of a movie that has a lot of different moving parts and machinery. I mean, they owe Fritz Lang, I mean, more than, that you know anybody could even know you know what i mean like he is the og for oh absolutely like those kinds i mean metropolis is the blueprint like still for like big huge spectacle you know like um yeah yeah i mean he 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 deserves more of everything uh in terms of credit but either way that's Kubrick. I thought that was a good list, and, and I'm excited. Uh, we'll talk about Kurosawa or Quentin Tarantino. There's also a couple other directors I'm trying to find some good lists for. I don't want random lists. You know, I'm trying to find, sure. for instance, Kubrick and Tarantino both are from the same Far Out magazine in the UK. So, mm. And Quentin's I'm especially uh, excited about because they, they uploaded a picture of a, a hand-drawn list he made like no. to where he literally wrote it in and he added, there wasn't even a, a there wasn't even a fill uh, a spot for a number 11, but he added one anyway, because he had to have 11. Oh, that's cool. So okay. I thought that was cool. Um, I have, uh, but anyway, no, that's, yeah. that's really cool. It's fun to go through that stuff. I, I do have one um, question for you before we uh, wrap it up. I um, have been, I'm finally trying to get around to watching, um, uh, some Westerns that I've never seen before. Uh, it's a specific actor and director of Westerns. Um, and I'm assuming that you've seen them because you've seen every Western. It's the Anthony Mann, Jimmy Stewart Westerns from uh, the fifties, kind of when Jimmy Stewart started uh, taking roles as an insane person, uh, like Winchester 73, the man from Laramie, um, uh, Man of the West, I think, is the one with Kim Novak. There's about five or six of them, actually. The Far Country. Um, I've never seen any of those. Um, have you seen those? Do you have any experience with those? Because I don't normally think of Jimmy Stewart as like a Western hero. But, I mean, you know, those movies get a lot of acclaim, and Anthony Mann specifically. And I, uh, I have not seen any of them. I've always meant to dive in. And so I was adding them to my list, and I was thinking, I wonder if John's seen any of those. You've seen every Western. Um, you know, I've seen, I, I've seen the man from Laramie. I remember that one. That one's particularly bleak. Hmm. Um, but honestly, it's funny you say this cause I was having uh, months ago, having a conversation with somebody on Twitter about how I'm really underseen on these. Uh, cause I'm looking at the list. I've seen the man from Laramie. I believe I've seen Thunder Bay and I've seen bend to the river, hmm. uh, Winchester 73. I've seen, actually, I believe that's on stars. That is, I probably their most popular at that work a piece together. Right, I right, say. right, right. Um, I have not seen Strategic Air Command, uh, the Glenn Miller story, uh, or the Naked Spur. I don't. Think. Yeah, Naked Spur. That was another one. Um, yeah, I. Yeah, because uh, they made eight together. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, I, I got to get these. I got to watch these, man, because Jimmy Stewart is, you know, like, I mean, he's just such a great actor. And from what I understand, there's a they're like existential Westerns that there's like a bleakness about them that you don't see in a lot of the 
you know, obviously Ford or Hawks Westerns. I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, obviously without the violence of someone like Peckinpah, I'm really interested to dive into those. Um, l- listeners out there, if you've seen these, uh, chime in. Which one which one should I watch first or which one should I skip or whatever? Because I'm, I'm really interested in that uh, that group of like six or seven or maybe it's eight films. Um, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I can tell you that that I remember, especially the man from Laramie. It's pretty, it's pretty bleak. It kind of shows you like it's not really they're not really interested in the and the hanging out part of the West and like check right. it out, we're just chilling like like you know a Hawks type thing. It's pretty realistic and grounded in terms of of what you're seeing. So, well, I think I think Winchester seventy three is just like the story of the of a gun that's get gets like passed around from person to person and the movie follows around the gun and it's like dude that is a that is a bold idea for a hollywood movie in 1950 or whatever you know like that's that's some interesting shit no i agree the only movie i can think of that like there's a movie that came out like 20 years ago called uh called the american gun i believe Mm. and it's got Marsha gay harden in it and it follows a gun from like it being built to its life cycle, you know, and like it goes through a school shooting, it goes through something else, it goes through something else. And I, I thought that was original idea. And then I didn't even remember until I rewatched it, that that was kind of a concept that was introduced several decades earlier. Damn, that's cool. So. All right. Well, that was my, that was my last thing. I just wanted to bring up that little topic. Well, guys, hope you enjoyed this. Uh, let us know if you have any directors, you would like us to discuss their top 10 uh, aside from that, don't waste any more time. If you haven't, go watch the Avatar 2 trailer. It is streaming everywhere. Jesus Christ. Go watch it. I'm serious. It is a beautiful trailer. I don't know why. I can't wait to see it on the big screen. It's playing in front of Doctor Strange 2. I can't wait to see the trailer in theaters. So go watch it, guys. All right. We're, we're done here. We're done. We can't sign off or whatever. Do the whatever the fuck you say. We're, this is it. I quit. Okay. Do you have anything to add? <laughs> No. <laughs> Guys, thanks for hanging out with us and uh, stopping by the silver screen video. And most likely, uh, maybe we'll see you next week. <laughs>